Hello and welcome to the Talent Alone Podcast, the only podcast brought to you by a wheel. My name is Adam and my co-host is Mike. Mike, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing all right. Knicks are out of the playoffs, but other than that, I'm doing okay. That brings me to our first question for the day that has absolutely nothing to do with the wheel. I'm going to list a few names for you, Mike, and as a resident Knicks fan, I want you to tell me who you wish was coaching the Knicks next season. Okay. Nick Nurse, Mike Budenholzer, Monty Williams, or Tom Thibodeau? So, hard pass on Bud and Thibodeau, but Monty or Nurse I would be interested in. I like Nick Nurse. Like Nick Nurse? Yeah, I do like Nick Nurse. So, if you had to ascribe a percentage chance to Tom Thibodeau getting fired and then bringing in Nurse instead, what percent chance would you give that? Oof. Um... Definitely a sub-50% chance. I would give it sub-10% chance. Yeah, you're probably... I'm being, like, blindfully optimistic or, or hopeful. Because I don't think... I mean, we went from out of the playoffs last year to making it to the second round this year. So I think there's a lot of people that look at it as a success. And well, I guess, honestly, just to be fair, it is a success. But um, I think it's pretty clear if you ask me that Tibbs isn't the answer at coach. But, I mean... Do you want the only to get time... one good year of a team, you kind of bring in Tibbs, you know? Yeah, you know, he's good to, like, kind of jumpstart a group. But, I mean, especially uh, unless you're, like, a super team that fails to win a championship, usually coaches don't get fired after, like, you know, making it to the second round of the playoffs. Tell that to Monty Williams. Well, they're kind of like, they have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. They're, they're expected to be in the finals. Okay, tell that to Mike Budenholzer. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. Budenholzer should pay money to Kevin Durant yearly, thanking him that his foot was on the line, or else Budenholzer would have been gone. That is, you know that's the most money I've ever missed out on making on a bet? Yeah. Like, you want to talk, like, sliding glass doors, if Kevin Durant's foot's, like, one inch behind that line. Yeah, if Kevin well. Durant wears size 12s instead of size 15s. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the actual show. So, for those of you who don't know, which I would assume is all of you since this is our first episode, the way this show works is we will pick three topics from a spinning wheel, and we will talk about each of those topics for 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, the topic ends regardless of what, how good the conversation is, and we move on to the next topic. Now, these topics are anything sports-related that we feel like talking about. Now, Mike, I know that we mainly watch hockey, basketball, and football, but... We do have our personal affinities to things outside of that that might pop up one day in the future. But mm -hmm. for today, it's mainly hockey, basketball, or football. So, you ready to spin that wheel? Spin that wheel. All right. Let's click to spin. All right, Mike. I feel like if we were going draft pick-wise, what to... Uh, what to pick as the first topic. This wouldn't be the number one overall pick, but it would definitely be high on your list, Mike. The wheel spit us out. NHL Conference Finals look ahead. Ooh. <laughs> that was the most canned ooh I've ever heard. <laughs> Sorry. It was borderline a soundboard. <laughs> oh. Is that better? So, Mike, let me set this up, and then I'll, I'll let you loose, because I, I feel like you have some thoughts about the, the Panthers of Florida. Uh mm. Eastern Conference set, it is Panthers and Hurricanes. The Panthers, the unlikely eight seed to make it all the way to the NHL Conference Finals, which I will be honest, seems to happen just about every year that the unlikely team makes the run. Mm -hmm. And the Carolina Hurricanes, the darlings of the analytics community that have spent the last few seasons toiling under expectation. And this year seems to have either surpassed expectation or gotten pretty close to it. So, Mike, what are your thoughts on the Eastern Conference Finals of the NHL? I think it's a pretty interesting matchup in that it's one team that uh, I find fun to watch in the Panthers and one team that I don't in the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> um, there's obviously the fun story of Florida who, I mean, you made a good point. I feel like every year there's that one team that kind of like has to play playoff hockey down the stretch for the last like month or two. And they just kind of go into the playoffs hot and then kind of turn some heads and, and go on a run. That's basically been the Panthers. Um, and then you have the Hurricanes who they've been like a, for the last 
basically under Rod Brindamore, they've just been like a very constant team. Um, they have a very strong system in place. They have the way they do things. And every year in the playoffs, you know, the offense seems to dry up or something just doesn't work. I think this year you could maybe make an argument that the field kind of played out well for them. And getting, obviously, the first round against the Islanders, that's not much, that wasn't much of a test. And then the second round, I think it just kind of matched up there really against the Devils and not having to go against the as in a caliber goaltender and Igor Shesterkin this time around was also a big help. Well, and you say they... that they did go against an, a Vezina caliber goaltender in uh, Sorokin in the first round. All right. Well, first going to go poking holes in my arguments here. <laughs> seem... <laughs> you were like, they match up great against the Islanders uh, and luckily didn't have to go against Igor Shesterkin, the guy who's probably going to come in second in Vezina voting this year. Okay. That, that is fair. Here's what I'll <laughs> also say though. Uh, I don't know if Sorokin kind of fell apart in the playoffs or if her, the Hurricanes are just that good because there's an argument to be made that so far into the playoffs, the best goalie has been Bobrovsky. Yes. So the question is, will that hold up against Carolina or the Hurricanes just destroying any goalie in their path? I mean, think about the murder's row of goalies they've taken down so far. Sorokin, who's a Vezina finalist and presumed to winner. And then Akira Schmidt, who, you know, is good yeah. for a little bit, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, cool name, though. He does have one of the top goalie names in the NHL. Got to give him that. Brother named Krillin. Um, yeah. So I'm obviously a fan. Um, so I... I, yeah, I guess things just finally came together for him. I don't know. I just, I really didn't. I, if you would have asked me who I'm more surprised to see here, I'm more surprised to see Carolina here, just because they're such the same team that they've been, and so I really expected them just to kind of have another second round exit in the playoffs this year and basically rinse and repeat. Yeah, I think that you kind of get into the feeling that they're. A contender, but not a cup contender. I don't. I don't know exactly how to put it, but it it does feel like for the last few years that they haven't, they haven't been on anyone's radar as a team to worry about. Um, I will say going into this matchup, they've been insanely good in the playoffs so far. Expected goals for fifty two point eight percent, so they're they're expected to be outscoring the teams they play. Um, they have a lot of high danger chances, which it's it's different how they get them right. They get them off like rebounds and tips not like shots from the slot and w they're walking in with as a 60 percent implied odds favorite against florida wow yeah i, think, I mean it's I, minus 145 series price yeah well I, I feel like the key to go back to the bob roski point that you made i feel like the key is that we just can't actually believe in him because every time in the playoffs whenever like He'd come in hot and people would believe in him. That's when he would usually fall apart and turn into a pumpkin. But then this year, it was like the opposite. He got put in, you know, and played amazing in the first round against Boston. Um, and then played really good in this game, in this past series against Toronto as well. So hopefully he doesn't, because I don't, I don't want to sound uninformed, but I don't, Spencer Knight's not with the, is he with the team? Dude, I have no idea. I was literally about to ask you because I have no recollection of what happened to Spencer Knight. So he entered uh, a it was an alcohol program. Or Is that what it was? Okay. Or was it mental health? Here, I think Google it was. It. Yeah. Oh, he's such a baby. Look at his fucking face, man. He's a very young kid. Spencer Knight out, goalie in NHL, NHLPA's assistant program. Yeah, so it's pretty much going to be all on, all on old Bob. You don't think we see another uh, Lions run? I mean, could happen. I mean, goalies are getting chased left and right in the playoffs this year. Not, Dude, not they fucking uh, – not, not that this is what we're talking about, but they pulled Ottinger last night, which blew yeah. my mind because without looking it up, you know who Ottinger's backup is? Scott Wedgwood. Yeah, okay. You were watching the game. That's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do want to point out, I just pulled it up. Mm -hmm. Um. Spencer Knight had an even strength save percentage of 915, which is decently above average. Oh, yeah. That's not that bad. I don't know why. In my head, I thought things were going way worse. Yeah. In general, I thought that Spencer Knight hasn't been great, but at even strength, 
uh, first year, which was only uh, four games played first year. So 9.30 and four games. Second year was 9.19. Third year is 9.15. All that while being addicted to something. Imagine what this guy's going to be like when he's clean. I mean, that was the hope that he was supposed to be the kind of like the, the guy. But he was also really young when they kind of started thrusting him into that position. So with uh, with about 12 minutes left on the timer here, um, I wanted to go through and talk about the cases for each of these teams before we switch over to the other side. I love it. So uh, you want the you want to make the case for the Hurricanes or you want to make the case for the Panthers? I'll make the case for the Panthers. All right. Uh, I'll go ahead with the Hurricanes first since they're the favorite. Mm-hmm. This is a very simple argument. You ready? Mm-hmm. They're the better team. <laughs> I mean, higher expected goals, uh, nearly the same high danger chances, but different kinds of high danger chances. Much deeper team. Arguably, Florida has the better top end. But Carolina is better coached. They won more games in the regular season. They've scored more goals in the playoffs. They're just the better team. Okay. I'd like to see you counter that. So I'm going to counter it with a, a few facts. Number one, I mean, the vibes facts. in this. The, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be funny because my first thing is not at all a uh, measurable fact. God damn it. I already said it once, so I'm going to say it again. The vibes are immaculate in South Beach, and this team is extremely hot. And, I mean, while the overall better team top to bottom may be the Carolina Hurricanes, um, I think a big factor in this series, and as it was in their first two-round series, is that if Connor McDavid wasn't in the NHL, I think Florida has the Hart Trophy winner in Matthew Kachuk. He has been so unreal good, and... Man, did they just hose for Calgary on that trade. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then the other guy I'm going to throw out flowers to is, I'm going to tell you right now, Carter Verhage. Fucking song is coming from a mile away. <laughs> you and I cannot, Carter Verhage. I cannot get enough of this guy. And not to go, like, do my columns right there. This guy. This guy. <laughs> um, he's just been, I mean, he finally had, like, his big breakout season this year, I think. You know, scoring... 41 goals, I believe, or 42. Um, and it's translated really well into the playoffs. And more importantly that, he's a big goal guy. Like, he doesn't... I mean, whenever there's, like, a big goal, I feel like it's already always Carter Verhage. Um, the defense has been playing well. You know, Brandon Montour has been unreal. I just really like all the momentum in Florida's way. The way they can forecheck kind of cause chaos and frustrate teams. Uh, yeah, I feel... I. I feel good. Are we going to do like a, a series prediction? Yep. I was waiting for you to finish your case so we could take picks here. Okay. So, uh, going to go ahead and put my official pick on here. Uh, let it be known before I make this pick that my two, actually my three biggest bets of the postseason so far have been round one on the Milwaukee Bucks, mm-hmm. round one on the Boston Bruins, and round two on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm. <laughs> so... I have, uh, as we say in the business, not done well. Um, so to, to continue that on, putting absolutely no money on the line because I have learned my lesson, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Carolina Hurricanes. And how many games? I don't see Florida going out like a bitch, but you can't call it seven. I'm going to go with six. Six? Okay. I'm actually the opposite. I'm going to say the Florida Panthers in, one? in six. Oh. Yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, I think this game will end in Florida in Game Six. Man, do, can they wear the uh, the reverse retros in the playoffs? I don't know if you're allowed to. No team ever does. Fuck, that'd be awesome if they could. If they won Game Six at home wearing those blue uniforms, be pretty yeah, sick. That'd be pretty sweet. All right, let's uh, let's jump over to the West real quick here. Uh, we don't have a ton of time left on this topic, so let's just go through some of the cases here real quick. So. We have Knights Oilers. Uh, game six of that is tonight, with the Knights leading the series three two. Who do you think wins that series? I still want to believe in the Oilers, right? But, right, you know. <laughs> but it's it's hard, um, especially after the last game where they kind of collapsed. I, I, but it's so hard to go against like Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and company, but. You think uh, you think we see Skinner tonight again? 
I mean, he's been the hotter goalie. I wouldn't. I wouldn't overthink They've, it. He's been bad this series. He has, but I mean, I mean, maybe Skinner turned back into a pumpkin <laughs> as he's well. He's a rookie. Why do we keep saying turn back into a pumpkin? He's a rookie. Um, I, I, I guess that, that is fair, but I mean, I guess in his limited appearances last year, that he wasn't he wasn't playing as well. So. You ready? You ready to hear how he's done the last five games? Yes. All right, lost to Vegas, 8-18. Win at home against Vegas, 9-62. Loss at home against Vegas, 8-26. Win at Vegas, 9-68. Loss at Vegas, 8-48. So it is a dramatic difference, win to loss. Mm-hmm. Like almost an entire tenth per win. Oh man, he had eight eighteen and got pulled with thirty five minutes into the game. He's yeah, so he's been pulled twice in this series so far. It, it's a little, you know, it's very deja vu to be sitting here going, "Man, if the Oilers are getting better goaltending, who knows?" <laughs> but they were all season. Okay, <laughs> they were. That's what I'm saying. So, so your your pick is for that series is going to be who? Oh man, part of this is totally emotionally based because I just don't want to back Jack Eichel. <laughs> So I'm gonna I'm gonna root I'm gonna go ahead and say Edmonton somehow pulls out the win tonight and uh, then takes it back home and takes care of business. Okay, so you're saying Edmonton and seven? Mm-hmm. I agree that I think Edmonton wins tonight, but I think it's going to be Vegas and seven, which I'm not as happy I'm not happy about either. All of us yeah. want to see more Connor McDavid. Well, actually, this playoff, all of us want to see more Leon Dreisaitl. Very true. All right, let's go to the other matchup. This one's a lot simpler. Game seven, uh, Seattle. And Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, arguably, Dallas might be the most fun team in the playoff, not named the Edmonton Oilers. You know what? Honestly, I say that out loud. Three of the remaining teams are the most fun pl- teams in the playoffs, right? Dallas is super fun. Mm-hmm. Edmonton is super fun. And Florida is super fun. Even Seattle's super fun. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> Dallas just has that insane top line. Yeah. And you get to root. You get to root for Joe Pavelski, which is the absolute best old guy without a cup. Oh yeah, thirty-seven, uh, I believe, right? He's been thirty-seven, thirty-eight, something around there. Yeah, he's been named our fantasy hockey it. league after him. Yeah. <laughs> so, who is your pick for Game Seven? Um, this is another. This is a, another one where it's like I. I can't see Dallas losing it. But I'm gonna go ahead and break the rule again. But you know the vibes in Seattle have been so un- unreal, um, and they're just this like scrappy underdog. They just don't die. I mean, they, during, they really like, don't die. Yeah, they that's just a don't. Great I mean, way to put it during like the Colorado series. I mean, once Colorado even that series up and forced a game seven, it was like, all right, here we go. Like you know, the defending champs are gonna go ahead and take care of business here, and then Seattle pulled it off, and they got a lot of fun players and I mean just what an unreal turnaround for this team after their first their inaugural season just looked to be like totally botched from the expansion draft throughout the season just things were not looking good Philip Grubauer somehow I don't know he drank some of Michael Jordan's secret stuff or something (laughs) I don't know how he turned back into this kind of goalie um Jake Ottinger not being I mean, his defense last night, he got pulled. He was getting no help from his team in front of him. They he was getting guy. absolutely shelled. I mean, like, two of those goals were, like, breakaways with no defender in front of the puck carrier. Exactly. And he had, I believe, um, they only put up five shots in the first period. And part of that was, um, like, like, three of those five came in the last minute on a power play. So... Once again, everything on paper says the Dallas Stars, but it's really tough to count out Seattle. But I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say Dallas at home wins. All right, and I'm going to go ahead and take Seattle. So we are we are split on those. Um, let's with the, our last few minutes here. Let's let's talk about the conference finals in the West. What do you think is the best possible matchup? Um, most okay. fun matchup, I should say. I think Dallas Edmonton would be a lot of fun. Yeah, imagine those the, um, those power plays would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's funny with even with Dallas. I mean, the Pavelski has been on fire. The the guy who I'm really looking at to like, hey, we need more out of you to get this done is Jason Robertson. Yeah, the, they're they're not heart finalists, but they're heart contending players. I mean, they're they're a franchise player. 
really. Pavelski missed some time and might still lead that team in scoring. Yeah. I mean, mind you, he did have that four-goal game they lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> let's uh, let's quickly switch gears here to the other side. Uh, what would you be looking forward to watching if we got Vegas-Seattle? The expansion showdown, as we call yeah. it. I mean that would be the I mean that would be the headline right there. Just the two ex- latest added teams making it to the Western Conference Finals. I mean it would make teams like you know for example the Buffalo Sabers who have been in the league since 1970 just go what the fuck is happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> not to say what I will be thinking as a Sabers fan if that happens. Uh, you know it'd be really fun about a, a deep Seattle run here, like getting Seattle into the the Western Conference or the the finals is we get another great hockey city on the come up and we get to add Shane Wright to like the third or fourth line to that team next year. <laughs> that is another wild fact of this is that number three overall pick. Uh, I'm sorry. It was, or is he, he was number four. four, number four overall pick Shane Wright isn't even with the team. Um, you know what? I'm just going to say, screw it. Like I, I am picking Dallas tonight or tomorrow, but I'm just going to say just for like chaos circumstances like let's get seattle florida in the cup finals like who would have ever had that on their, on their <laughs> i can't tell going into the air? i can't tell if that would have a great number of views or absolutely no views yeah i mean let's just take two cities who no one would think of as hockey cities and they're duking it out for the who do you who do you put on the poster there for like i mean, I mean obviously it's kachuk but who from seattle do you put on the poster uh you know <laughs> veneers Benier is probably like the most marketable one because he's like most likely going to win the the Calder. But I mean, I'm saying let's get Yanni Gord up there. <laughs> that dude was flying like, around the ice last night. Yeah, I feel like your mind's poisoned by last night when he had the all-time Yanni Gord game. That line, <laughs> Gord Bjorkstrand, like I'm all for it. I think we should get. I, I think that it should be Kachuk and then the done to death Twitter picture of Brandon Tanev looking like he just got haunted. Yeah, it, it's so funny because throughout the year. I was like, all right, like this is cute with Seattle, but they're gonna fall off. They're gonna fall off, and I like refuse to buy in. And then, like during this Dallas series, I've just finally been like, all right, fuck it, let's go Kraken. All right, all right, and that is perfect timing as we have reached the uh, the final few seconds. There, I think our official predictions are somewhat in the book, at least getting to the conference finals. Mm-hmm. We can always circle back next week and talk a little bit more about it in depth. All right, let's go to our next topic here. Going back to the wheel, spinning. There we go. The wheel loves me today. Mm-hmm. Mike, can you guess where our second topic on the day is? Um, I think it's about a, a. I think we're going to go over the business side of things and talk about mergers and acquisitions. Yes, sir. It is the mergers <laughs> and acquisitions part of the podcast. The Washington Commanders have reached a principal agreement with Josh Harris to sell the Commanders of Washington to the owner of the New Jersey Devils and Philadelphia 76ers. The dark Mike, days are over. As the uh, the resident Commanders fan of our two-man podcast here, I uh, got to tell you, this is kind of a big deal. Yeah, very big deal. Can I, before you, um, you know, I'll, I know you probably have a lot to say. I just want to throw out some kind of like numbers here. I jotted down. Schneider purchased Can I, the team. B- before, before you go through that, because I know the numbers you're going to go through, let me yeah. just lay out the uh, the price of the acquisition real quick, just so oh, people yes. who aren't pay attention at least get numbers. Mm. So the commander sold for $6.05 billion, uh, almost a billion more than the previous largest sports sale of all time, which was Chelsea FC. Mm-hmm. The new owner is Josh Harris, in cooperation with a couple other billionaires, as well as Irving Magic Johnson. Mm. And apparently... It's currently pending due to Snyder wanting an indemnity clause. All right, Mike, let's hear your numbers. So Snyder purchased the team in May of 1999. She had 24 seasons as owner of the team. They had an overall regular season record of 156-211-2. Made the playoffs six times with a 2-6 and record. And started a total of 27 different quarterbacks. uh, Started a regular season game for the Commanders during his tenure. And that really ratcheted up since in the last few years, since 2018, when 12 different. And an interesting fact, I don't know what this is, how much, you know, what, what the point of this is. But um, I went back and did all the numbers and found out that you guys had an average first round pick position of around 12.6. Since Snyder uh, took over? Since Snyder took over. Yeah, that feels about right. I mean, that's around where we drafted 
Dwayne Haskins. That's around where we drafted this year. Um, a couple of those are being brought down by like the, the Chase Young year and the RG3 year. Mm-hmm. Five times in that stretch, you guys had no first-round pick. So, um, so there was some kind of wild trade. So I, I throw all that out there because, I mean, really, like obviously the owner is just the owner. But it just I think it shows how much like that kind of trickle-down effect of the owner and the direction of the team can go for him to put the right people in charge to, you know, I know you're not a big, I don't think you're a big guy when it comes to this term, but um, I'm kind of a believer in the idea of like culture and Schneider just created a bad toxic culture in that franchise. And it obviously permeated all the way through the franchise into the on-field production. And I think it is a very good thing for your team that they have finally sold. Yeah, I do want to get the bad out of the way before we talk about the good and about the future. Um, I will say, for starters, that we do have to mention that Snyder is currently embroiled in a legal battle over sexual misconduct and sexual harassment allegations. Um, If it wasn't obvious already, Dan Snyder is not a good person. And I think that we should be willing to give credence to any allegations that are taken up against him because of past actions showing the kind of person that he is. Um, so I do want to make sure that we, we say that and we don't just gloss over it. The other thing is, I don't know, sorry if you, you said this at one point, I was gathering up some last second notes just to be sure I had the right things here. But the Commanders went from having the longest sellout streak in the NFL, by far one of the most dedicated fan bases. I think that sellout streak ended for the first time in 2008. And last year, by far the lowest attendance. It was 10% lower than the team above them, which I believe was the Cleveland Browns. Wasn't last season, it was your last season or the previous one where that video made its round on social media of like a, a pipe bursting in one of the upper le- uh, levels? That was two seasons ago. Last season was the fans almost fell on Jalen Hurts season. Yes. Like, I mean, if there was like a, a literal like visual metaphor happening in the stadium of it crumbling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also that, do you know what that pipe was? It was like a, like a sewage pipe, wasn't it? Yeah. They literally rained shit on their fans. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree. The Schneider allegations are horrible and obviously should be taken totally seriously. And, and you know, it, I'm not making a one, I'm not making like a, a one for one comparison here, but it, it obviously him, being pushed to sell during these allegations does kind of remind you of um, what happened with the Clippers all those years ago. Um, And I just don't think it's a surprise that we find out that (laughs) owners that seem like bad owners sometimes turn out to also be shitty people. (laughs) Um, Just throwing that out there. Um, I I do want to interrupt this topic for just a second to uh, give you some news that just came across the timeline. Yeah. Uh, John Morant once again flashed a gun on an Instagram live video overnight. Oh, Jesus. And has now been suspended from all Grizzlies activities. Oh, good. People are doing, people are doing dumb things. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, can I... Uh, so, yeah, all the, all the sad aspects of these rich, you know, billionaire people turning out to be monster humans aside, um, do you think that new ownership could lead to new coaches, new general manager, like a total, like we need to bring in our whole new team. So I, uh, I was talking about this with a buddy of ours. Who's also a commander's fan. And he doesn't think there's going to be any major changes in the first year, Mm -hmm. but I feel like you don't spend $6.05 billion on a team and then don't come in and shake shit up. Right? Like the best way I can compare it is if tomorrow, the mm-hmm. Sabres came to you and said, congratulations, Mike, you are officially the owner of the Buffalo Sabres. You are the majority owner, and all decisions are finalized with you. Have fun. Mm-hmm. You would have some day one moves to make, right? Yeah. Even if it's something as small as you coming in and saying, like, we're not re-signing. <laughs> who's, who's the guy you're always bitching about who's a free agent? Uh, Ocposo? Ocposo and, like, uh, Gergensons. Yeah. Yeah, even if that's day one, right? Or you're trading X, Y, and Z or moving up in the draft for for this guy. Whatever it is, right? Like day one, you would have some things. And then mm-hmm. even if we look at recent evidence, the Suns owner comes in 
and trades for Kevin Durant. The Panthers owner comes in, guts the franchise, fires the coaching staff, and two years later, trades up for the number one pick for Bryce Young. The Denver owner comes in and trades for Russell Wilson, and then a year later, trades for Sean Payton. So, I doubt that Josh Harris is going to come in and just say, all right, guys, keep on steady. You're doing what you're doing. The team hasn't won 11 games in 24 years. The team hasn't won two playoff games in a season in since 96. In my lifetime, they haven't won two playoff games. The team hasn't won a Super Bowl in 35 years. It is not currently a respectable franchise. And mm-hmm. I think that Josh Harris comes in knowing that. And so I think we should expect big changes. Now, the caliber to that is where we could probably talk and have certain questions about. Yeah, and to your point, I just looked it up real quick. Uh, Josh Harris's um, net worth as of April is estimated to be between six and seven point six billion. Um, you're not people like this. They're extremely successful, obviously, in their other business in the business world. Those people don't just come in and go, "Okay, cool. I I spent all this money on this franchise, and I just have this thing like a knickknack on the shelf." Like he's going to want to make money and he's going to want to be successful. That's obviously how he's wired, you know, most likely in some way for him to have amassed the wealth he has and be as successful that he has in his other personal life. So to expect him to not come in and, you know, want to get his hands in there some way or at least put the right people in charge to get their hands in there to turn this thing around, I think would be unlikely. Um, I, I would be in favor of him coming in and kind of being like, all right, Let's get a new team in here. I, I'm not rooting for anybody to lose their job, but like I just don't think Ron Rivera is the answer at head coach. And I feel like you guys really need fresh blood in that area. Like I was like going back and just like looking at some of the past coaches, and it was like Joe Gibbs to Jim Zorn, um, Jay Gruden. Just Jay not... Gruden was first time head coach, but he he was there for seven fucking years. Yeah, and like. In my mind, I was thinking you guys kept, uh, you know, Mike Shanahan, you guys kept bringing in these, like, older football guys. And Jay Green was kind of, like, the big, um, like, outlier in that area. But, you know. We also I- let uh, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay walk from our staff in favor of older football guys or Jay Gruden. Right. And unlike the NHL, I feel like the NFL, most teams are looking for the next, like, great young mind to come in and be their head coach. Yeah, after so, Sean McVay, it really feels that way. Yeah, that's like kind of been the way. Finding that first-time coach. I mean, the Bills went out and got Sean McDermott, who obviously he's not like the big offensive guy, but he was still younger, and it was a first-time head coach. And you see, you see how that's worked out for them. Um, Nick Sirianni has obviously been amazing for the Eagles. Like, I feel like it's about finding the next great coach more in the NHL, or pardon me, in the NFL, than scrapping someone else who has done something in the past. So I'd hope that that would be a a move that the new new ownership group makes who's your yeah. dm uh i just i was just looking at his name um mm-hmm. so he's like a shadow gm because uh all reports say that rivera has final say on all roster things but that's going to disappear as josh harris comes in yeah i think that's that that's not dan snyder trying to hire someone i think that's a red flag i don't i don't think it ever i don't like the idea of the head coach having the call on stuff like that. I feel like that has to be a GM and a coach working together with the final call going to the GM. I mean, I think Bill Belichick's the other example of someone who also does, who kind of like handles both things. And you can't argue with the success they had, obviously. So however, God knows how many Super Bowl rings, but in the last couple of years, in the last few years, just with personnel moves and draft picks have been questionable now. Um, so the, the GM is Martin Mayhew, uh, not okay. a name you need to remember. He doesn't do much. Um, yeah. and then the president is, uh, Jason Wright, who's kind of more than anything been the fall guy for the last few years. I, mm-hmm. uh, I would not expect either of those guys or Ron Rivera to have their job come 2024, not to say that they have done anything outlandish or are creating the worst team in football but they don't have a plan 
and there's new ownership coming in. So I would be surprised if those, if all three of those guys, or honestly any three of those guys, were in their current role in the the twenty four twenty five season. Um, yeah. So as we're under ten minutes left here, I do want to talk about uh, what to expect from the future uh, of ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet you that we see a huge rebound in ticket sales in the next few years because regardless of the on-field product, Commanders fans have ascribed everything that's gone wrong to Dan Snyder. And some of that's justified, obviously. Um, the stadium's falling apart. Uh, that We haven't had a franchise quarterback in that time. His meddling led to trading for Carson Wentz. Like, uh, Snyder's publicly chastised commanders fans you know the the team name fiasco where for a year we were just the washington football team and then unveiled pretty boring jerseys Mm -hmm. but so i want to talk about going forward i do think that we see the team turn a profit next year because it's the nfl and every team turns a profit and i think that we see a rebound of ticket sales but there's a lot of talk about a new stadium and Sam Howe's probably not going to be the franchise quarterback. So I would say those are the top two things to look out for big-time ownership move-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, – definitely think uh, a new stadium is something that's going to be obviously on the list of things to take care of and will be talked about and start to look at where. It'll be interesting to see where they decide to put that stadium, if that's something that happens. Um, I do also agree, because of the timing of the deal, with it happening – you know, before the draft and, and or part, pardon me, after the draft, kind of like midway through this offseason. Um, I do think, obviously, the current core in the front office and coaching will be there this year. Um, but I do think that there will be, I agree, I think there'll be kind of like a cleaning the house come next season. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe Ron Rivera, you know, somehow leads his team to like an amazing turnaround and record and then they can't really get rid of him. But I do think that, that this will kind of be a year for the new ownership to map out really what they're going to do come 2024. So longtime listeners of the show will know that uh, my, my basketball team is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. And here's where I start to get a little nervous because the Timberwolves recently sold or are at least partially sold as uh, a rod and his actual rich buddy by the team in payment plans. Think about how, how that <laughs> they sounds, put, they, they put an NBA they're, franchise on layaway. They have an NBA franchise on layaway. They're paying these sums of money every quarter or so, and they are barely making the deadline before the money's due. Oh, that's a little nerve-wracking. But there's talk that part of the reason they did the Gobert trade is under the influence of new ownership. So that's where I start to get nervous, right? Because who is someone that's like the NBA's Gobert? Someone who has aged out of their prime, who is still a big name. I mean, you're talking about like... I mean, if it was a year ago, Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of first-round talent out there that, that is, doesn't perform the way it used to. So players like Sam Darnold or Zach Wilson that are mm-hmm. going to be available come soon. And that's where I start to worry about new ownership coming in. Because the biggest question mark on the team is and will be until the day it is answered, the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Currently, it is uh, Sam Howell as a starter with Jacoby Brissett as his backup. Neither one of those guys gives you a ton of confidence in a deep playoff run. But the last time we've had a guy that gave you confidence in a deep playoff run was RG3's rookie season. Yeah. And if you're new ownership coming in, especially in the NFL, what do you want more than anything? You want a franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. So that would be what I worry about most. And I'm not sure what that market's going to look like in a year. I mean, you can think of some people who are on the verge of underperforming, but something like a Kyler Murray trade or a massive, like, Rams-style, we gave up everything to move up and get RG3 kind of trade are the things that ownership tends to do in these situations. Yeah. I mean, you look at, I mean, that's kind of like a, there's kind of like a foundation, like a, a spine that an owner will try to set up. They want to have that GM that they can, that they believe in. They want to have that head coach. And then they obviously want to have their franchise quarterback. And you do wonder if this deal happens 
right after the end of the season? Do the commanders make a move in this draft? Would they have tried to move up? Would they have taken a quarterback at the at their pick instead? There are a lot of kind of like sliding doors from that standpoint. You know what I didn't look up that I would actually be curious about? Mm-hmm. Do you happen to know if Harris was the owner under the process Sixers? Oh, I didn't know. I'd have to I could try to look that up. What about under the Devils underperforming and getting Jack Hughes? Um, because if if he was owner under those drafts, that would give you a lot of confidence. I mean, you talk about a, a new owner coming in. What if he just guts everything and tanks? Yeah, he uh, purchased the 76ers back in 2011, so that would definitely would have... Would yeah, because 2013-14 was the worst Sixers team, so he must have been the guy that brought in Sam Hinkie. What about the yeah. Jack Hughes draft? Did he own the Devils when they drafted Hughes? Um... Because that would lead you to believe that this is the kind of guy that's a tanker titles guy, which, you know, obviously appeals to me quite a bit. Let's see. And if he's a tanker titles guy, what's up? The team is owned by David Blitzer and Josh Harris of Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment. They bought the team in 2013. And the Hughes draft was what year? Um, Roughly. I, I don't have the exact year, but it was definitely after that. Yeah, okay. This is only Jack Hughes's, I think, like, what, fourth year in the league? Something that? like that, yeah. yeah. So, um, he definitely seems like the kind of guy that will abide by losing for the sake of future winning. Yes. So, that would lead you to believe that the move probably wouldn't be trade three first for Kyler Murray. The move would be sell everything that's not nailed down and go get Caleb Williams. Yeah, you gotta kind of have to, you know, break it down and build it back up, which is a an idea that for like new ownership, I'm, I would totally be, I think is a very good, uh, um, strategy to subscribe to. You think that, uh, you think there's any way this franchise could realistically get worse than the, the Cardinals or Texans going into the next season? I mean, they kind of play with it every year, but never quite get that bad. Um, you guys have some good skill position players, some studs on defense, so it would be kind of tough to, I think, get worse than those two. Real quick, because I know we're just we're pretty much out of time on this topic, I did want to ask your opinion with Snyder now out. Who is like the who is now at top of the power rating, power rankings for like God? This team needs to get a new owner. In in the major leagues or just? Um, you could do f- real quick, say football, and then just all sports. Football's hard now. Like yeah. I guess I guess my pick would be Jerry Jones, but that guy prints fucking money for the league. Yeah. I mean the so, only problem is that he meddles, but he prints money for the league. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that the reason part of the reason that comes to mind is just because he's probably the most public owner. Maybe the um the Bengals owner, who's notoriously one of the cheapest owners, or the Davis mm-hmm. family, who's also one of the cheapest owners. Yeah. I guess all and, sports, you'd probably say Dolan, right? Dolan, yeah. yeah. But even Dolan's been better. The only problem now is he's starting to meddle with the Rangers instead of the Knicks. Yeah, so I'd agree. And then my last comment on this is that just has like kind of a, a eulogy to the Snyder ownership is that uh, owners, you know, rich white billionaires, they tend to stick together. So the second, I believe it was Jim Ursay, and people came out and said, yeah, we want him to sell. I mean, th- that was there's never been more of a... A, you know, a nail in the coffin in that moment. Absolutely. Also, Ursay is a good pick for the worst owner. Oh, yes, he's up there, too. <laughs> Speak of the All day. right. Well, we actually went over there by a couple minutes. So, uh, Sorry. episode one, and we're already ignoring the timer. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a lot of talk about in that topic. All right. Back to the wheel. You got you to gotta hope here for the last topic, Mike? Oh, boy. Yeah, there's so many good things out there. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping for uh, we could talk about a certain team above the border. Just barely. Ah. Look, I- I'm even going to send you a screenshot so you don't think I'm fucking with you. The lefts. Oh, there we go. Mike, you want to introduce what we're talking about here? So uh, we're we're looking at what's next for the Maple Leafs of Toronto, who got bounced by the um, aforementioned enigma that is the Florida Panthers. Great timing that we went to a concert in Scotiabank, on the ice, the day mm-hmm. before they got bounced from the playoffs. Yep. So let me tell you, the vibe from inside Scotiabank feels like a loser environment. <laughs> Damn. 
<laughs> even like during a concert that had nothing to do with the Leafs, you're just like, yeah, feeling kind of like a loser in here. Yeah. 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 You know, you, you just step on the ice and you don't feel like trying. You don't feel like back checking. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, Blink-182 really put the, the jinx on because they were, they were yeah, hyping they said, them up during that concert. Florida beats them. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, in their defense, they probably said they're probably going to go to Florida and say they're glad that Florida beat the Maple Leafs. So. Yeah, definitely. Can't trust these celebrities always going for the cheap pop. Fucking shills. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's our Leafs topic. Yeah. Are you in the podcast or? <laughs> no. Uh, so I guess I'll kick it off. I mean, what? I don't even know what to do anymore with this team. <laughs> um, so can I can I give you some uh, some names here? Yeah. So here are their notable UFAs. Kerfoot, mm-hmm. O'Reilly, Camps, Bunting, Shin, Gustafson, and Simsonov's an RFA. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of players that are potentially out the door. Yeah. Even if you assume that they signed Samsonov to an offer sheet that no one will match because it's the NHL, mm-hmm. that's a lot of players out the door. I mean, you talk about people like that played major roles in the last few seasons, like Bunting, O'Reilly this year, Kerfoot, even Shin, who I think is probably a little underrated. That's some people that played significant roles on this team that are leaving when – this team is supposedly underperforming as is. Right. This, and they're also, they're one of the teams that they're, one, there is like, you know, Canada is, if the Oilers get knocked out tonight, um, there'll be 30 years that no Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup, which I do find funny because it's, that's like a, a stat people constantly mention. I'm like, well, you know, in their defense, I think they only, you know, only what I think it's like roughly twenty percent of the teams in the league are Canadian, so the numbers are already against them. Uh, um, but it's just so much fun. It's so much it's, fun that it also completely overlaps with uh, w- with uh, uh, change at commissioner, right? And it it people just I think it's just people think like, oh, that team's in Canada, they should be like better at this. It's like, well, no. I mean, other great hockey people will just go to any team, no matter what country it's in, because has got the money in the good situation. So, but I do want to push back on that a little bit because I think the reason that this team should succeed is because it's the Dallas Cowboys. It's, it is. It's the Los Angeles Lakers. It's probably the most important franchise in the league. It should be a destination because only 20% of the league is Canadian, but how many of the players are Canadian? Right, and you think that how, they'd want to play at home. How many of them grew up Maple Leafs fans, even beyond playing at home? I mean, I you would, have to assume if they're not from Vancouver and they're not French-Canadian, there's a good chance that they're a Maple Leafs fan. No, that's very true. I would push back and just say that I think the Canadians are a little bit more of the Lakers because of the, the rings, but that's neither, pardon me, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I just, like, there's so many, it, it's just weird because... Kyle Dubas is a young guy who's an analytics guy. So, you know, it's not like I don't like who they have calling the shots for this roster. And I just don't understand how it, it just continually cannot come together. And I know it, it, I, for me, I saw the, the writing on the wall because they finally got out of the first round. And I believe that there can sometimes be like that, you know, emotional come down where like getting out of the first round kind of was their Stanley Cup this year. But then it like kind of hit, hit them like, reality hit them right in the face that like, Oh, now we're going to get bounced in the second round. And this is still a team with this extremely talented roster with extremely high expectations with a whole lot of scrutiny and pressure because of the city they're in. And now we're sitting here wondering like, what's, what's the next step to change that coach. Like you mentioned the free agents. I, I think number one on their list is they have to get a goaltender. I don't know what it is about Canadian teams having star offensive players and they can't get a damn person to just keep the puck out of the net. Um, as well as Samsonov played, I, uh, the Matt Murray thing obviously did not work out with him getting hurt and not playing very well. Um, Let me ask you this, though. Where do you expect them to get a goaltender from? I, that's another problem. I don't know. <laughs> so, so y- you know, there's two ways you build a team, right? You build mm-hmm. in the draft or you build in free agency. Mm-hmm. The, the Maple Leafs have done a, a mix of both, along with trades, but they've done a mix of both. But now they have a lot of names out the door. They have their big three, but it, I mean, you have to expect them to build in free agency, right? Because the top 
possible UFAs are what Patrick Kane, Vladimir Tarasenko, guys that are mm-hmm. closer to the end of their career than the beginning. Even if you want them to go a little younger, like Max Domi, I mean, they could re-sign Bunting, but none of these guys are making the jump from them being a second-round exit to a Stanley Cup champion, right? Yeah. So then the other option is build in the draft. Well, in the next three years, they only have two picks in the top two rounds. Mm-hmm. Across all three years, they have two picks in the top two rounds. That's limiting what they can trade for. That's limiting who they can draft. Because this year, they only have the the Bruins pick, and next year, they only have their own pick, and then they have no first-round pick or second-round pick in 2025. Yeah. So where are they building from? So then you say, well, have they drafted well in the past? They have the 18th-ranked prospect pool by the Athletic. So they have a below-middling prospect pool on top of all that. So I can't honestly tell you where they're going to get a goaltender or, I don't know, what else do you want to say, veteran leadership? Well, they have veteran leadership. They've constantly been trying to bring, every year they try to bring in veteran leadership. And I think you bring up a a really good point with how do they build, because that kind of ties into what I think is going to end up being the biggest downfall of this Leafs uh team kind of having to start really drastically changing is that every year they go into the trade deadline and they're like, we're just like a piece away. We need to get something. And they end up giving up future assets to get this, what they think is the missing piece. You know, they made them, like, I don't, I still don't like the idea that they got rid of Rasmus Sandin. I think he's a, a, I just, I think age is a valuable thing in the NHL. And so to move him when he was a young, good defender, I don't think that's a good move for the long term. Last year, they brought in Nick. Uh, was it last year or the year before? I think it was last year they brought in Nick Foligno at the trade deadline as a rental. And he was supposed to be that missing piece. This year, it was Ryan O'Reilly supposed to be the missing piece. They have John Travars as their captain. So it's not like they don't. They have veteran leadership. It's just not. <laughs> it's really just not coming together. And I think they're going to get to a point where, like you said, the cupboard's going to be bare. We're short on picks. Our prospect pool is below, you know, is in the bottom half of the league. And then it's like, well, now what do we do? Are we going to keep throwing money at free agents just because they're the best free agent? Like, are are they going to go out there and just give stupid money to like a Tarasenko just because, Hey, he's the best option out there. What else are we going to do? And then even like Michael Bunting, that would be an interesting piece to see if they do how much money they are going to give him. Cause he's already 27, which I mean, he's in the prime of his career, but but he got healthy scratched in the postseason. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> they would rather play Matthew Nyes over him. Yeah, so, like, n- no offense. Like, I think Bunting can go somewhere and make some money, but if I'm the Maple Leafs, I'm saying, like, we really appreciate what you did and everything, but we're going to go ahead and move on because he may want more money than they're willing to give him. And but Bunting, uh, you know, it's a second contract, and he's already 27, but mm-hmm. – or maybe it's his third, right? Something like that. But it's worth pointing out that other teams are going to want him. Yes. Because he was a Calder finalist and has shown up in the playoffs from time to time. He's not going to be available for cheap. Mm-hmm. So you have to hope that he signs a hometown discount. But even then, do you expect him to with the team that just scratched him for Matthew Nyes? Yeah. So... I would be surprised if Bunting is back. I would agree. I'm looking at people who I expect to be expensive and available, and there's really not a lot here. I was looking specifically at goalies, and like even Marc-Andre Fleury isn't available next year, which seems like the obvious go-to for them, right? So Mm -hmm. where do you go with goalie? Do you hope Matthew Murray can stay healthy? Is that is that what the the basket you're putting all your eggs in? Yeah, I mean Murray's really been like no offense, but he's really been living off of you know the cup run with Pittsburgh, and <laughs> he hasn't really performed anywhere he's been since then. Now the idea was well he was in Ottawa, you know he wasn't getting any help in front of him, so we'll bring him to Toronto and he'll get help. But then he wasn't playing good, and then he got hurt. I don't even know how many games he. I don't even think he played that many games this season, did he? No, he got hurt pretty early on. Mm-hmm. So I pulled up uh, Spotrack's um, top free agents. And uh, I got some interesting names here for you. 
you you ready? Let me uh let me let me just get a thumbs up thumbs down on if you think that these are potential targets for Toronto. Okay. All right. So we already talked about the top few, so I'm going to skip over them. Uh, do you think they re- re-sign Ryan O'Reilly? Oh, I think they will. I think they're going to make that a somewhat of a priority this year to keep their center spine strong. Okay. What about James Van Riemdyk? 34 years old. Mm-hmm. One of those like consummate professional kind of guys that they seem to be drawn towards. Mm-hmm. Only played uh, played on the Flyers, right? He's never played anywhere else. Do you think that's someone that they would target? Um. No, I don't. I don't see. I don't think so. I don't see the value there at thirty-four. Okay, here's an interesting name, but <clears throat> it's probably probably could just skip over this one. But I'll throw it out there. Uh, Debrinket, who was an RFA, so that I believe the compensation if you offer sheet to bring it and get him would be like a first round pick or something. I, I actually, I don't not or something. I believe it's a first round pick. So, but, okay. Would you rather have the Bruins pick this year or Alex to bring it? I'd rather have Alex to bring it. Yeah. Cause like, but it's once again, it's the NHL mm-hmm. RFAs go back to the team. Usually. Almost always. Um, unless it's a spite signing like uh, Carolina did with Carolina. Yeah. And, uh, Kaki and Emmy. <laughs> so I got I, I got just a couple more for you here. It gets it gets real dark here all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth on the list is Alex Debrinkit. Mm. So that's their eighth ranked uh, free agent by salary hit last year. So this isn't like a pure ranking, but by salary hit last year, that's their eighth ranked free agent. Milan Lucic. Is 10th by salary cap hit last year. 34.9 years old. That that seems like a guy that Toronto would be like, oh yeah, we can bring him into play in the bottom six. He's you know, he's gritty, he forechecks, he, you know, he's a vet. Um I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up showing interest in him at a cheap okay. price. Now, just a couple more guys here that I think make sense. Um a couple of Boston guys, Dmitry Orlov and Tyler Bertuzzi. Both seem like potential Maple Leafs guys. I don't know if either one of them is an RFA. Yeah, they're played with both. Are, they both played very well for Boston. So you said they're both RFAs. I don't know. I can, I can oh, okay. check here real quick. But those both seem like they would be they would be good depth targets. But they don't move the needle enough. I guess. Uh, yeah, they're both UFAs. Okay. Yeah, those are two guys who are gonna just by being on that Bruins team for half a season, probably increase their value pretty well in the upcoming free agency. Um, yeah, I could, man, I could see Toronto looking at both of the, either of them, but like you said, it may not move the needle. I think the, maybe the real needle mover might be another, yet again, another change at coach. Uh, let me throw out one more name. Then I do want to talk about coach. Yeah. Here's, here's a guy who is a UFA this year who desperately could use a rehab organization and you could get for pretty cheap. I bet. I think I know who you're going to say. Alex Nedeljkovic. Oh. That is a really interesting idea. Uh, I don't think he'd be too expensive. And he showed flashes earlier in his Detroit career. Remember, I, former Calder finalist. Yeah. So that that's a really interesting idea. I kind of like that. All right. So coaching change. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably a foregone conclusion at this point. Yes. So, do you foresee a big name stepping in here? Do you think that they go young again? What do you see as the future of the Toronto Maple Leafs coaching? Um, I mean, Kyle Dubas could very well decide to go young again. We could see a typical NHL, you know, situation where, uh, you know, on the ever never-ending coaching carousel. I mean, Gerard Gallant is already available. Do you think that Dubas maintains his job? I don't... That might be the biggest question. Oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, just to uh, throw out some names for you here of 
available people that seem ready to to step into a bigger place. Obviously, you already said Gallant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spencer Carberry, who is already on the Maple Leafs bench as an assistant. Mm-hmm. He could step up. How about this as a name? Andrew Burnett. Ooh. I kind of like that. He kind of got a raw deal in Florida. Yeah. Definitely got a raw deal. Although, that being said, all of a sudden, Paul Maurice looks like the best coach in the NHL. Yeah, but I mean, if you can go back as recently as, like, what, February, and people were like, oh, Paul Maurice, <laughs> a terrible coach. So, uh, things change. Perception changes fast in, in uh, the NHL. I really like Andrew Burnett. That's an interesting thing because he stepped right in after the whole Quinville mess and kept that team on course, and they ended up winning a President's Trophy. Of course, they got bounced in the second round again to the Tampa Bay Lightning. But, I mean... I don't I would actually that'd be a that's a big name to watch in my opinion. How about Cloud Julian? Oh that's another older name. Uh former coach of the Canadians and uh Bruins. I don't personally don't like that because it's another one of those just kind of coaching carousel member of the NHL boys club. So I don't I wouldn't be as interested in that. I could see Kyle Dubas looking at Andrew Burnett. I keep coming back to that ever since you said that name. I would say that there's there's one other name worth <laughs> throwing out that seems like a a potential hire. All right, I guess two more names. So I'll I'll go with the the lower tier one here. Mm-hmm. If you want to win right now, Daryl Sutter recently became a free agent. Oh boy. <laughs> If you want to go the other direction at coach, you want to go with an older win-now guy who you think could snap this team into shape. Mm-hmm. In his first year, Sutter gets a lot out of the team. Yeah, and he's won two Stanley Cups. I just I can't imagine the Austin Matthews team with Daryl Sutter. It just seems like such a weird pairing. It worked with Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau for a year. It did, and then they hightailed Although it. Kachuk <laughs> seems more like a Sutter guy than Austin Matthews does. Yeah. Okay, and then the other name, the the controversial name, who probably isn't going to be the guy, but it's it's worth it's worth mentioning would be Quinville. Yeah, I don't. That depends on how much they're willing to take heat for, you know, the whole Chicago thing, and then bringing him in. Um, you didn't say Bruce Boudreau. He's always <laughs> every time there's an opening, there's a, some Bruce Boudreau talk. You know, it feels feels yeah. a little middling. To be honest. <laughs> it does. It, it does, but you know, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think Quinville's gonna get picked up anywhere for a while. Unfortunately, not unfortunately, but you know what I mean. Like, just unfortunate for him. <laughs> so the the top candidate you would think for this opening mm-hmm. would be Burnett. Yeah, that'd be my that would be my favorite candidate out of what's out there right now. Do you, do you foresee a bidding war for him? Um... Burnett got let go last year after the playoffs, and no team picked him up. Yeah, but then he went to New Jersey as an assistant coach and as their special teams assistant, and instantly that team became one of the winniest, the the largest gap in in win percentage of any team in the history of the NHL, and had a a top-tier power play. So... There is something to be said about him increasing his star in the last year. Yeah, I'm pulling up a couple things here. Another name that's flowing around a little bit is Peter LaViolette. Him and Bruce (laughs) Boudreaux seem like they're on about the same tier for me as you hire this guy when you don't really have a better idea. Yeah. Uh, Um, And Cloud Julian, similarly. mm -hmm. Because, I mean, they're names that have just been around the league for a long time and have had success in the past. They're always going to be coming up when these positions open up. All right. Well, I know it's uh, it's sudden, but we did kind of just hit the end of our timer on that. Um, did you have any final thoughts? I know that was a little bit more rambly as we talked about coaches for the last eight or nine minutes. Um, no, Anything just, we missed that you want to hit on? Uh, not, not really. I just think that they're going to be an extremely interesting team to watch what they do next. Couldn't agree more, Mike. Thanks. I know it was an astute observation by me. All right. We're about two hours away 
from Game 7 of Philly-Boston. This will be the eighth Game 7 between those two teams in history. Wow. And then we're about eight hours away from Vegas-Edmonton Game 6. Mike, what do you think is the wildest thing that happens between now and our recording next week? Um, wildest thing that happens. Oh, boy. Uh, I'll say Tyrese Maxey sets a NBA playoff record for most points and the 76ers still lose. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with uh, Connor McDavid scores nine goals. Nine and goals? And they lose by nine goals. <laughs> oh, my God. Final score, 18-9. to nine, Vegas Golden Knights, game six. <laughs> and they don't. They never pull Stuart Skinner. He just gets shelled for 18 goals on 18 yeah. shots. Uh, by the way, it did officially come across the timeline a couple minutes ago. Stuart Skinner is starting tonight. Okay. Yeah, that's what I expected. So they're not going to old man Craig Smith quite yet? Not quite yet. Nope. All right, Mike, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can follow me at Talon Mike on Twitter um, to see all my interesting musings on sports and the like. All right, and you can find all of our content at talentalone.com and uh, subscribe to this podcast for more. We'll see you next week. Bye.